0: Welcome to another Fast and Like Nails podcast. I'm Mark Camby, and I have some special guests in the studio today. I have uh, Pastor, or I guess you're not pastoring right now. You're Professor Professor Colin Smith in our studio.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's a promotion or demotion, but thank you. Good <laughs> that's to be a promotion. here,
0: and also a good friend. Thanks for being here. Just drove in 12 hours from North Carolina last night, and I'm sure you're rested by now, right?
1: Well, oh, getting there. <laughs>
0: and you taught for two hours this morning on the book of First Samuel, correct?
1: That is correct, yeah.
0: We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about First Samuel, but not just First Samuel. We're going to talk about the historical significance behind First Samuel, the chiastic structure within it, um, framing the whole thing. So we've got some really cool things theologically to talk about. And I have next to me Rebecca. Nice to have you here, Rebecca.
2: Good to be here.
0: And I chose you this morning because I saw Jesus on your face, and so Praise I thought, the Lord. "Well, we get two and one." <laughs> and then I saw Rainy coming in from class, and you had the smile that I saw on Molly's face all last semester, <laughs> and it was like, "Okay, she got bit by theology today. That's awesome." So. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm hopefully... I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it's it Was it life-changing, interesting, like beyond imagination?
2: Just super interesting. So many things i would never seen before. Isn't so it never, awesome? Yeah.
0: You see the Bible come alive. Mm-hmm. It's like looking into a microscope and seeing, like, my the first time... Well, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, Molly, it's always great to have you here. Thank you. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Um, 1979... I was principally in a Christian school, and Bosch and Lom of Rochester, New York, was getting rid of their 50-year-old microscopes. Okay, now, do you guys know who Bosch and Lom is?
2: Contact lenses? No.
0: Ooh, Molly, you worked for an eye doctor, didn't you? (laughs) No. (laughs) Very interesting.
2: What else do they do?
0: Well, Oh, yeah, just contact lenses would be, like, minimal.
2: Oh, interesting. Anyone
1: else know? Colin? Yeah, I have a friend who lives in Rochester. She works for Bosch and Lom. He's oh. a scientist.
0: Yeah, this is like one of the major eye companies in the world, okay? So they've been doing research for, I don't know how many years, 75 years maybe, and they had in their possession some of the strongest microscopes in the world, <laughs> okay? And they were they're updating everything, and they were getting rid of their, selling their microscopes like for thousands and thousands of dollars. And I heard about it and sent them a letter and they gave one to us for free cuz we are a nonprofit educational institution our christian school they gave us not just one they gave us five of them and the very first time we me and the kids looked into this microscope unbelievable we could put a leaf under it and it was like going into like into the universe it's the only way i could describe it it just kept going and going and going like and there's things living inside of this thing it was like this is amazing you know and so that's how the Bible is written, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. infinite. It it, it it never ends. It just keeps getting better and better. The poetry, the music, the the structure, the beauty. Oh, just not just what the Bible means, but how how it means it. Okay, okay. So so we're gonna just kind of take a a breather here, and we're gonna look at the historical significance of First Samuel. Um, Colin, you were just sharing some stuff about this is during the Bronze Age?
1: Yeah. So the, the story of the Exodus um, all the way through um, the Solomon's time period um, is, a, is a time period in history that's really unique. Um, something happens that changes the world, and that's the invention of iron. And so there's this time period called the Bronze Age Collapse. And during this time period... Um, you have a time of high adventure and of of lawlessness and of kingdoms. The Minoan kingdom disappears. Um, you have Greece; just they're called the Greek Dark Age. The new kingdom in Egypt collapses when the Iron uh, Age begins. Yeah, and so you have all these kingdoms collapsing and falling, and this dark period of history uh, into which you have high adventure. You know, things like the Iliad, the Odyssey are written um, in. In India, you have amazing epics being written. You have really? all of these adventures and all of these times, and it kind of fits the, you know, the the period is just, it's almost like the Wild West, but the entire world is that way. Wow. Kind of something similar to what's going on today, only in the reverse,
0: there's not extraordinary things happening, there's a lot of fear-setting, but it's affecting the whole world right now.
1: Yeah, I would say the invention of the Internet and the hmm. smartphone and computers um, has brought on this time of lawlessness i mean everyone we all remember a time not so long ago when the internet was lawless Mm. and there is all this stuff going on and there's trying to get it under control and manage it Mm. but you know whole nations we watched whole nations fall because of twitter you know people were able to coordinate protests because of twitter and you see whole nations fall one by one like dominoes um, so very similar in the fact that new technology brings about an overturning of society and just and totally overturning the way people live their lives. So I had heard from your dad
0: 25 years ago, at least, um, he was teaching that Bronze Age, the bronze, was made of um, uh, copper and tin. Yep. Okay. And up near Russia, there, um, there was a, a famine and the people started to migrate, and as they started to migrate, some wars, infections started to occur, yeah. and the mines started to shut down. There was no more tin yep. being mined, yep. and so there was this. Lo- when the lo- when when the loss of tin occurred, they couldn't combine the tin and the copper, and so the Bronze Age. That was when the Bronze Age started to cease. Is
1: that that is so- true? Yeah, okay. and you got to understand too. Um, what happens is is you've got these philistines that come in from the outside and i've talked about this before but genetic research on them shows that they're actually european Mm. they're descendants of jephthah so you you always have in the bible and in other stories invasions always come from the outside and from the north and so you have these invaders that come in and they basically overthrow the world with chaos and um, what you're dealing with with iron is um iron changed the way that they did war you know, have you ever seen a copper sword hit an iron sword? Mm. The copper sword just wraps right around it. <laughs> um, iron pokes right through any type of armor. bronze armor. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, there's advances in, in agriculture mm. where the populations are booming. So if you can picture the Philistines, this is why you needed you – didn't so few Philistines could accomplish so much because their, their iron was, was so valuable and their armor was so much better. So that's why um, it's just changed everything. Almost like today, so few people
0: can have so much of an influence over the entire world.
1: Yeah. If you, if you look at the death tolls in a war like, say, World War II or Vietnam versus like Iraq and Afghanistan, you see we, medicine, advances in weaponry and the way we do war, we have far fewer casualties. in the war. And war has changed so much and so drastically. But um, agriculture, um, if you have an iron plow, you can plow so much more land, so mm. much bigger, so much better. So the population was exploding. And this is part of why the Philistines had to attack because the Hebrews were multiplying, which is a very similar story to what we find in Egypt.
0: Wow, interesting. Okay, so here here we come. We're on the scene. Um, the The Philistines are are attacking, but Israel is multiplying at a fast rate. And now all of a sudden, Israel, when you come to 1 Samuel... Um, Israel has crossed the Jordan. They're in the land already, and they don't have a king yet, right? No king. Okay, but they want a king. Yep. Um, and David's just a little kid at this point, right? Or a teenager, maybe? Yep, yep. Okay, so
1: take us from there. What's going on? Set the stage oh, yeah. for First Samuel. So the Hebrew people um, migrate into the land, and Joshua leads them. And Joshua and Moses were sort of like war chieftains, warrior Mm -hmm. chieftains, Mm -hmm. Um, but there was no monarchy. There was no succession. So you had a judge who would be raised up from the people, and he was led by God, and the Spirit empowered him to do fantastic things. But when he was gone, there was no one. And the the basic structure of society was called a kinship structure. So you had your families, and then your family's extended family was a clan. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, you had your tribes, and the tribes had elders, and the elders would rule everything. And so elders would handle local disputes and all of that, but they weren't fitted militarily to handle someone like the Philistines. Sounds like the church. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so you have these, these judges who are elected from the tribes who come up. You know, um, Gideon was an Ephraimite. You know, they're all from different tribes. There's, mm-hmm. And and then um, all throughout the book of Judges, you have this phrase, and there was no king in the land. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the book of Judges, the most likely thing is the stories were recorded as they happened, but they weren't finally put down into a scroll and finally cemented until probably the time of maybe David or Solomon. Mm. And that's why you see these phrases, there was no king in the land. Mm. It's what we call an apology. Uh, and that's not saying sorry. What an apology is, it's, it's like the word apologetics which means a defense of the faith. Hmm. So an apology is something that is defending something. So they're almost defenses of why we have a monarchy. So if you can imagine being an enslaved Israelite who is working in a mine for Solomon, thinking, this is nuts. Why am I not? I'm an Israelite. Why am I doing this? Well, let me give you the book of Judges. This is what happens when you don't have a king. Hmm. Let me give you the book of Samuel. This is what it was like without a king. You know, kings give us a standing army. They give us public works projects, taxation. We get literature, art. We get a capital city. Unless you have an evil king. Unless you have an evil king. But a lot of it, um, what, what we see in Judges and in Samuel, is an apology for the wow. monarchy. Wow. Okay, so if Solomon wrote that, that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. We don't know whether he wrote it or not. I don't but... think
1: Solomon wrote it, but it would have been written during the time of Solomon or David. Oh, Interesting. Okay.
0: okay, so now you got this apology, this proving as to why society works the way it's supposed to work, if it's, if it's in done in the way that God has assigned it. Yeah. But God didn't really want a king, though, did
1: he? Well, that's, that's where God knows and he plans, and he also knows what's gonna, what we're going to do. So we read in Samuel that God's intent is for them to be a theocracy. Right. And they want a monarchy because they wanna be like the other nations. right? Yeah. And what a king brings is very specific. Uh, he brings a standing army, taxation, um, monumental works projects like um, aqueducts or, or agricultural projects, large palaces and large um, citadels for defense. And basically, um, the Philistine problem was gonna take two or three generations to, uh, to solve. They weren't gonna solve it with just a judge. So one of the problems is you need a standing army to to fight someone like the Philistines. And that means you need to get iron, you need to amass an army, you need to train them, they need to be professional. That's where Saul comes in, where he starts to invest in yeah. the army. Yeah. So so really, the, the people saw the need for it. And um, the extra biblical accounts are one way or, or the other way. So some of the early writings are, it's bad to have a king, somewhere it's good to have a king. But where the Bible falls in Samuel is that God wanted them to be a theocracy. They wanted a king, but he gave them a king. But then he restores his nation to a theocracy when he sends him a God king in Jesus. Hmm. Okay.
2: I have a question. So uh, you're in 1 Samuel, is it? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Is that during the time of the Book of Judges, or
1: right after? after? Okay. So Samuel's unique character. We talked about that. Samuel is a judge, like Gideon is a judge, Um, Ehud. But but he's also he's a warrior chieftain. He's the last judge, but he's also the first prophet.
2: He's the last judge.
1: He's the last judge, first prophet. Because what happens is the office of judge is a warrior chieftain in charge of the military. You're in charge of wars, but you're also a judge. You're, 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 you're also talking to God and making judgments on behalf of God and you're speaking for God. Mm. So when David or Saul and then David take over the military end of things, you get the prophets who now speak for God to the king who handles the military end of things. So, and then you get Jesus and he doesn't need a prophet because he is a prophet. He doesn't need a priest. He is a priest. Oh, wow. He is the king. He's all three in one. He's everything. It's all merged again.
2: So, judges was the emergence of the kings, and then yes. now this is the end and segwaying so, into. So, the judges prophets.
1: was going from the time of Moses and Joshua, which is tribal chieftain warlords, they're called judges, into the time of king. Judges ends right before, okay. Samuel. So, Saul. The last judge is um, probably the most chaotic person in the Bible, as far as like, mm-hmm. it's Samson. Oh yeah. But Samuel and Eli are judges. Hmm. They're judging the people. And so what you have in Samuel is you have a judge. And then he turns in. He's all he's a judge his whole life. So there's this overlapping where you have a time where there's a judge, a warrior chieftain, who is also has a king who is essentially a warrior chieftain. And they're occupying the same space.
2: That's so cool. I, I didn't realize that.
0: Okay, so let's look at the whole book now. Let's, let's look at it from a holistic approach. How does the whole book teach us not just what it means, but how it means it theologically? So give, it, give me a picture. Give the audience a picture
1: of 1 Samuel in its entirety. Ooh. so I, I, you have to look at the book of First and Second Samuel, and I believe they were written together. Mm, okay. I believe it's one book. Oh, cool. um, I think we've divided it up for many reasons. But I think it's one work, Mm -hmm. and I think it's one standing work. Um, And there's many reasons for human reasons. There's the layers that the book covers. You know, there's military stuff that's awesome. There is this really great interaction between characters, beautiful pictures, this wonderful repeated theme of father and son, father and son. Mm -hmm. You got Eli and Samuel, and Samuel has to overcome his fear in order to Mm -hmm. succeed, and, and and take over the role from Eli, and then Saul, who fails. Samuel who's like a father figure. Then David, Saul's his father figure. You got these wonderful relationships, back and forth. These really beautiful pictures. You got this literary structure that's amazing, and and it's a really strong apo- apology or defense of the monarchy. That's what I want to hear. What does but, this framework look like? So so this is my way of breaking up the book of First Samuel. Um, I have it broken broken up into a chiastic structure. First okay. Define central. chiastic structure for listeners. Okay. Um, well, Mark, can you define it?
0: Okay. So, <laughs> the the Greek letter chi um, is kind of like an English X, mm-hmm. and how they would write is they would write on um, both sides of this letter X. Let's say so. If you're writing on the the left hand, you know, hand of it, and then the right hand of it, then this is a issue trace it down to the center, there's a crossroad, something centers. There's a middle point. And if you keep going, it crosses um, and goes the opposite direction. So now you got the bottom hands or the bottom feet. And so what, what's, what's being written, how it's being written, is they would put identical words or phrases or themes in this framing device, this letter X or letter key, and you would see how it all fits together. Not just what it means, but how it means it. And so, these identical words, themes, phrases are on one end of the X, down to the bottom end of the X, the same thing. So, it works like in reverse, and in the center, there is the major theological theme, the meaning of the text. And so, if you look at 1 Samuel, as it's written, chiastically, or in this chiastic structure, we should be able to find what the main theme of is in the very center. And we talked about it earlier, Rainey, mm-hmm. and you gave me a multiple choice. You remember? Yes. Okay. And now that I know the answer, I, I would like the multiple choice again. This is the middle of the book of First Samuel, is it, what was the first one?
2: David spares Saul.
0: David spares Saul. That's A. B.
2: David and Goliath.
0: David and Goliath. C.
2: David and Abigail.
0: David and Abigail. And D. David and Absalom. Uh, okay.
2: That's okay.
0: Okay, so here we go. Which one is it, um, Molly? Um, A, I, uh-huh. David and Rainey, David and
2: uh, Spare Saul.
0: David Spare Saul.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: B, David and Goliath. C, David and Absalom, and, or D, David and his son Absalom. Which is this? <laughs> <laughs> you said
2: Absalom twice.
0: <laughs> what I said Absalom choice. Yeah. Oh, dear.
2: I'm guessing (laughs) it might be Absalom.
0: Doesn't David do that? Absalom, Absalom.
2: (laughs) That's a framing device. Okay, so
0: Molly, you're on on the spot here. Okay. Which Um, is the center of the book of Samuel?
2: Okay, so my gut instinct is not Goliath because that seems like it'd be in the beginning. And so um, David spares Saul?
0: No. Close. No, it's not. (laughs)
2: denied you're so graceful
0: (laughs) okay one more chance molly was it absalom no you got now was it the one that
2: you didn't say you're not gonna (laughs) i'm guessing it was d no it was c it's c c was absalom no well was it (laughs) i'm stupid person (laughs)
1: maybe it wasn't did i say david and abigail
0: you did. I think.
2: Yeah, and oh, that was yeah. that was C. Did I miss it? The second it was
1: supposed time to be C. <laughs> <laughs> so it was Abigail. It's Abigail. Okay, why? Ah, good it question. Is. David and Abigail is the center of the um, the chiastic center of the book of First and Second Samuel. That's amazing. And okay, it's why? Totally unexpected. How many pastors preach on First Samuel 17, David and Goliath, or maybe David sparing Saul if you're lucky? But how many people? How many people preach on David and Abigail?
2: Not very often. And it's the
1: center of the book. That just shows you how much biblical illiteracy is out there. Um, Yeah, but why? I mean, he's taking a second wife. What in the world? I know, I know. And it's amazing (laughs) that that would be the center. That wouldn't be what I chose. No. If you're if you're Solomon, Uh and, and you say you you commission me to write. A, a you know something Legacy. that I, yeah something that I can write that says this is why you need Solomon mm-hmm. would I put I come back and I say the center of the of the, the book is going to be your dad marrying some random gal who's mm. married to a fool
2: that's crazy <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is crazy right that's insane what in the world <laughs> but that's what it is okay. this is why the Bible is so unique and unexpected wait mm-hmm. can you mention Solomon like getting the text back when like what on earth is this <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah well the the crazy thing is, is it works in its insanity um, when you read it in context. But let me let me give you the chiastic structure. Back up, yeah. Okay, so do you want let's work from the outside in. So first Samuel. And, and be- remember, everyone, we're looking at this letter X yep. or
0: the letter key in Greek, yep. from both the top <laughs> to the bottom, and they 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 exchange. They well, we're intersect. working our
1: way to a central point. Okay, got it. So the book of First Samuel begins with Samuel who is succeeded by—he succeeds an elderly man, Eli, Mm -hmm. right? He takes over for him, and that's the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel. Well, at the end of 2 Samuel, you have a story of Solomon who succeeds an elderly, David. Mm -hmm. And that's why I believe it's written during the time period of Solomon, Mm -hmm. because the story stops when Solomon begins. And then—so after the story of Samuel taking over for Eli, you have a story of Saul failing— Saul's many attempts at being king, and he fails, you know, falls on his face. Mm-hmm. Well, paralleling that is, is on the other end of the book, you have David failing in 2 Samuel 9 through 10, 20. You have stories, David's downfall, and it kind of parallels Saul's downfall. So af- in the beginning of the book, after Saul, Saul's downfall in 8 through 15, you have David rising to influence in Saul's court in the presence of Saul. And he's being widely acknowledged. Well, mirroring that on the other end, before David fails, you have David's influence rising to the pinnacle where he's influencing all of Israel and his influence rises. So you've got David's influence rising on both ends. Well, after David's influence rises in the beginning of the book, you have a story of David fleeing Saul and and fleeing Saul and then Saul kills all these priests right, Mm -hmm. who probably would have been dear to the Lord being priests, but many of them would have been friends of Samuel, you know, and this is is happening before Samuel's death. Saul is killing all of these priests, some of whom might have been related to Samuel, some of whom would have been close friends with him. Well, the parallel story to that is when Saul and his own friends are killed, and David goes through grief over that. And he's torn because this is his enemy, but also it's his father figure. And he writes this beautiful poem about it. So those are parallel passages because what Saul does to the priests at Nob, he gets paid back for it tenfold at Gibeah when, he, when he's slain by the Philistines. And he's slain by his own hand. In both instances, someone's dying at the hand of Saul. It's other people the first time. It's him at the second time.
0: Well, you mean he kills himself? Yeah. Whoa. And
1: so then you have, after the story of David... Uh, or I'm sorry, of Saul slaying the priest at Nob, you have this story of David saving this city, this the city of Kelah, and he saves it in, second, in 1 Samuel 23. The parallel to that is David saves all the cities in Judah in 1 Samuel 27. Right? Now we're getting closer to the center, and this is where the chiasm becomes more apparent. Um, you have in 1 Samuel 23-24 a story of the Ziphites betraying David, Ratting him out, and David, Saul pursues David to kill him, but the end result is David sparing Saul's life. Then, once again, the Ziphites betray David in 1 Samuel 26, and the same result Saul goes to kill David, and David spares him. Those are parallel passages. And right in the center of that, you have a story of David, Abigail, and Nabal the fool. Because wisdom and ruling go hand in hand. Kingship and wisdom go hand in hand. It's a story about wisdom. And how did David David behave wisely when he went out? Mm, because so, of her, though. In Solomon, it was no, known for his what? It's wisdom. Wisdom that he got from mm. his father, David.
0: Oh, interesting. So
1: it's a story about wisdom and foolishness and wow. behaving wisely. And it also has a story of a, a woman in there who he marries... And um, Solomon liked to do that a lot too. <laughs> so, well, you think that's why he had this written? No, I think it just fits. But when we look at the story, we could go through the story of David and Abigail. When you go through it, so many elements fit with the purpose of the entire book. Mm-hmm. I mean, Abigail's beautiful, mm-hmm. and
0: she's wise, mm-hmm. which is interesting because wisdom is personified as a female. Yep. Okay. Um, and, but what's interesting is that she's married to a fool. So how does she get herself in that situation? Maybe it was arranged. She didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that both wisdom and, and folly or foolishness are together. And then he gets killed. And then she ends up with David. Yeah. So yeah, what, do you, what does that
1: mean? Well, the idea here is that... Um, how do I say this? Um, this is a story... That depicts David at his prime. And all the things you love about David are there in this story. He's clever. Mm-hmm. And he, his adventures and his his foibles and his exploits, um, on his in his rise, there's a certain humility and charm that goes with wisdom. And the only person who has that humility and charm paired with wisdom that we see comes thousands of years later in Jesus. Mm. And so what you see is you see a person, who's humble, who's charming, and who understands wisdom.
0: Okay, tell me if I'm going too far with this, but I just got this. I've got the goosebumps, actually. So David takes her as his wife. She's now widowed. She's, you know, her her, son, her husband dies. David takes her in and protects her, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, this is going too far, so do not we're not going to even think this is accurate, but I just like the thought that it's kind of like Jesus taking us in and protecting us as the church. You know, we're part of the world. We've been with the fool all this time, and now he's redeeming us. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, she's, yeah, I mean, she's definitely wise. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely wise. But he's, he, he, she's been with this
0: fool all her life.
2: Yeah. It's interesting because um, as I'm hearing this story and stuff, like, it could have been a really terrible situation if David hadn't listened to her. And so it's like, which one is he going to choose, like, folly or wisdom? Yeah. And so she comes and she represents wisdom. And then you've got Nabal, who is the fool. And so the temptation is to repay foolishness with foolishness. But instead, he's he's listening to her and he's he's making the right decision based off of that influence.
0: Okay, okay Colin, Molly, Rainy Rebecca, Colin, this is, this is huge. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Colin, maybe this is not a story about, the centers. might not be about David and Abigail. The center might be about wisdom and folly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because that's, that's what Solomon's all about. He's the one that really oversaw the wisdom books.
1: And the wisdom that Solomon
0: got didn't come from nowhere. It came from David, his father. Mm. Whoa. M- my son, my son poems, chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs. Yeah. My son,
1: hear the instruction of, of your father. Yep. And, and, and the idea here is that it's also an impassioned plea that this woman makes to the king that stops him in his tracks. And he listens to the wisdom. And then he hears her voice. She hears. Here is a big theme. So mm-hmm. if you want to figure out the David wow. and uh, Abigail story, my suggestion, it's a little homework. Look at the, when people speak and people hear. Every, every major turning point in the book of Samuel has the words obey, hear, or listen. And that's actually the meaning of the book. That's the key word in the whole book. Shamuel means to be heard by God. And this is a book about people who were heard by God. And so this is a story about David hearing her request and being heard by her. And then when David hears that Nabal's dead, he blesses the Lord. It's the same words used in Proverbs 1
0: through 9 of the the 12. My son poems or the son's instructions, listen, my son, hear my son,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. obey my son. Wow.
1: And in this case, wisdom is exercised by David. He has the power of the sword and he relents because of wisdom mm-hmm. which is what you want in a king he had to make a de- si-
0: he had to make a decision he he first he was going to go and defend himself defend his you know his pride you
1: know his name yep. and she well that's what you want yes, uh, with wisdom it. you want you want the kind of guy ruling you who wisdom can stop him in his tracks wow, that is so did you guys learn that
0: in class
2: we talked about it so oh, you I did a little bit
1: because
0: I'd like to think this is a new creation well, this, this is, moment. This is Solomon
1: practicing wisdom in, in all that he does. The story's about you know, them bringing a baby to him. Wisdom stops him in his tracks, and he, he listens to her voice. This is what you want in a king. Wow.
0: Okay, so this is pretty amazing. This is part one. We're going to probably do two, three, or four parts to the story of First Samuel. So this is a great beginning I'm so excited to continue this Colin thank you so much thank you for your study in the word study to show yourself approved in a God a workman right that's what this is all about and I hope those that are listening there's so much in the word of God it is like the Bashan Lam microscope it goes forever God created the the heavens the stars and the universe and if you look at it through you know a Hubble telescope it's amazingly gorgeous and beautiful. It's the same way, the other way around, looking through a microscope. And that's how God's Word is. It goes both directions. Mm. You know, so the deeper we dig into it, the greater the beauty that we begin to see. And and I hope that people will be inspired today by this beginning lecture, beginning podcast of uh, 1 Samuel. So um, thank you for listening again to Fasten Like Nails, where we're trying to um, create well Actually, Fasten Like Nails really started with the idea of igniting a renaissance of creative excellence, creative excellence in the way we study the Word of God, the way we live our lives, igniting a creative excellence to know God intimately, proclaim Him passionately and
2: enjoy Him infinitely.
0: I love it. We look forward to spending more time with you again in Fasten Like Nails. God bless. An old man, blind to his own bitterness.
2: I will
1: never forgive her.
0: A young girl, blind to her own identity.
1: There are people who want to hurt me.
0: Together, they find a treasure, the hidden hand.
1: I will take the girl.
0: In the heart of the Deep South is a deep secret.
1: Hidden house?
2: It's haunted, they say.
0: A story that will open your eyes. To your own story.
2: I don't know how God is working, but I know He is.
0: This is The Hidden Hand.
2: This must be kept entirely secret.
0: Starring
1: Katie Lee as Capitola. An interesting name.
0: I'm an interesting girl.
1: Written and directed by Kathy Buchanan.
2: Get rid of Capitola once and for all.
0: Behind every story of your life, discover the author of your faith. Discover The Hidden Hand. Visit lamplighter.net, lamplighter.net.